Hey there, and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 64 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life's mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Mary Letter Leitner um, to discuss her book, Women in God's Mission, Accepting the Invitation to Serve and Lead. A fascinating book that uh, I jumped into and really appreciated her research approach, her investigation to understand. We just had a phenomenal conversation with her and um, I just appreciate her so much for the research she's done, her heart to see women lead and just the inspiring stories to, to learn about maybe some of the obstacles and challenges that women will run into at the same time, God's faithfulness as he leads them through that. And just, yes, once again, just a fascinating, fascinating book. Do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, which is AGWM Africa for an increasingly redeemed and transformed Africa, 50 countries, 257 training centers, 404 missionaries, and 79,106 indigenous churches. Discover what you can do and how you can be engaged at agwmafrica.org. Do want to encourage you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's when I sit down with Dick Foth and curate listeners' questions, and we just get to sit down and learn from his wisdom and his insight over the years. Do want to also encourage you to continue to listen and subscribe to the podcast. I know the podcast I subscribe to um, are also the ones I listen to because then I wake up on Monday morning. They're there. They're ready. And uh, I know what I'm going get to get to listen to throughout the week. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here um, today with somebody I feel like I know because I've uh, read her book through a few times. When you read a book like that, then you feel like you kind of get to know the person. But today's the first time I've got to see her face to face. Mary Letter Leitner, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much, Aaron. It's really fun to be with you. Awesome. Mary, would you go ahead and, and just take a few minutes just to share a little bit about yourself before we jump into some of the questions? Sure. Um, I am the founder and executive director of Missional Intelligence, LLC, and it's a consulting firm that works a lot with global mission organizations and churches that are working in a global context. Um, my background mainly before that was 20 years with Wycliffe Bible okay. Translators, working in all kinds of different global leadership roles. Uh, I have a PhD from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Educational Studies um, because I really like to look at how people and organizations learn and grow. Yeah. I have an MA in Intercultural Studies from Wheaton. And so I have taught in the graduate programs of both of those uh, institutions. And I've also done some organizational development work with them as well on the side. So. Wow. Yeah, that's, wow. that's a bit of it. We have an affinity. I think I love to learn. And it sounds like you love to learn too, because you have a, you've had a lot of degrees. And so <laughs> that's a lot of work and um, a lot of respect for you in, in that process. So I'll call you Dr. Mary throughout the interview. No, so that's good. <laughs> no, just call me Mary. I know some people really like to be called doctor. I really like to be called Mary. So right. I'm quite happy with that. So, right, for sure. Yeah. Well, that that's what we'll stick with. Well, Mary, we're going to have a conversation today about um, your book and, and some other things, but about women in God's mission, um, it, accepting the invitation to serve and lead. 
And um, it's a book that I found challenging. I found it insightful. And uh, that's why I reached out to see if we could just have a conversation together because I really valued it. And so, yeah, if we could just go ahead and jump into some of the questions I had. I, I took notes while I read the book and, and went back and took some more notes. Um, yeah, so you can, one of the first things that this really resonated to me that, that I highlighted was the idea of the importance of accepting God's invitations and, and you share that this is a vital part of our ongoing discipleship. Could you just unpack that a little bit for us? Uh, sure. I, it actually has changed how I view discipleship since I did the research. And I realized that sometimes our discipleship models have veered off course a bit. They've become more about just my personal prayer life or or reading scripture, um, things like that. Um, but really, I think what really helps us to grow the most is constantly staying open to God's invitations and saying yes when he calls us. Um, from a, a missions leadership standpoint, it's actually easy to quit doing that. Uh, it's easy for people to put us on a pedestal and think we're doing great. And yet it's really hard to keep saying yes through our whole lives to what God is calling us to do. Um, sometimes it means picking up power that we're not comfortable uh, living into. Hmm. Sometimes it means giving up power that we're not comfortable giving away. And so it, it's really huge. And I realized through the research that with these women, they continue to say yes to God's invitations, and that caused them to keep growing far more yeah. um, than they would have otherwise. I also um, learned of a story of a woman in her 80s who had said yes to God to serve in like one of the most dangerous communities in her country. And I thought at the time, oh my gosh, Lord, does that mean even when I'm 80, I have to still <laughs> keep saying yes to you? Because we can have this idea that you kind of age out of the yeah. responsibility. Wow. We don't age out. If wow. we're disciples, it means following Jesus and, and following our Heavenly Father wherever He leads. And, wow. and no matter how terrified we are, continuing to say yes. Um, yes. And there's what you mentioned that this uh, continuing to say yes, and sometimes there's some barriers. Is there was there a common barrier or something maybe that this stuck out to you that you saw throughout the research in your writings? You know, it's interesting. I think a lot of times when we think about women and leadership development, we can easily land on one barrier. Maybe okay. we'll say, "Oh, women aren't confident, so hmm. we need to help women become confident," or. Um, it's very easy to, to look at it as one barrier. But what I realized, and especially as I continue to do research, is there are so many different barriers hmm. and they have kind of a, a compounding effect. Okay. And so a lot of times when people try to set strategies for developing women leaders, it's often just one of those barriers, maybe wow. two. So they don't really have enough momentum hmm. to really break through and, yeah. and see women really grow to their full potential and, and make their best contributions in the kingdom. 
Uh, very insightful. Very insightful. One of the other things that I, I love models, I love, and you know, when I got into nursing, uh, they talked about theory and I said, I, I, I'm not here to do theory. I, I'm, I'm not interested in theory, but the more and more I mature, because that was a young guy, um, models and theories, I, I find fascinating. And you talk um, and share about the minority development model and um, how it kind of gives us a window into the challenges women face in leading. Could you just share a little bit about that? I, I just found it fascinating. Sure. You know, um, it came out of a model, I think maybe in the 70s, where they were working with um, people coming from different ethnicities and entering the workplace. And uh, there's four component or five components to it. Um, I'll explain that in a second. What I found so interesting is I found women following the same model. Hmm. And so basically, uh, over the trajectory of women growing into leadership, broadly speaking, um, the first uh, the first piece is conforming. Okay. Uh, when women are the first women, first people to first women to lead, it's um, not uncommon that that they try to almost act like more of a man than the men. You think of yeah. um, political leaders, Margaret Thatcher, they said, you know, she was yeah. more of a man than anyone in her, <laughs> in, in her government at the time. And then there's this dissonance or confusion, like, why do I have to set aside parts of who I am? Hmm. Um, and then uh, there's resistance. So this would be kind of the harshest part of the um, feminist movement. Okay. There's nothing good in men. Okay. It should all just be women, you know? None of the women in my research were, were experiencing that. Um, they had not landed there or camped out there. Um, then the next is introspection, trying to figure out what parts of who they are as a woman are beneficial to bring into the workplace and which parts it's better maybe to respond like their male colleagues would. Hmm. And then um, last is synergistic, a desire to really bring all of who they are into the workplace, but also help everybody to bring all of who they are into the yeah. workplace, whether they're from a different generation or a different ethnicity or whether they're, they're, they're male or female, a desire to see everybody grow. And so if you look at the really over the long arc of women in this conversation of leadership and say, this isn't even the longest arc, but if you look back at the 70s to now, you can kind of see big picture, hmm. this impact on how women have led. Okay. And, um, and it happens in ministries as yeah. well, so... Yeah. And uh, yeah, just how did you, is that something you found in your doctoral research, this minority development model? I had never heard of it. And I think that's, it just really piqued my interest. Yeah, I actually found it in my um, dissertation. I was okay. working with uh, emerging and young adults, what was helping them to integrate into um, churches after they graduated from university and what was hindering them from that. And they were missional 20-somethings who had already been very involved in missions. But then what was that transition like when it, this group was InterVarsity or IFES okay. students? What was happening as they transitioned to churches? And um, and the minority uh, identity development model was something that one of my readers, Peter Chaw, recommended I look into. And 
it was helpful then, but it's the, I find it especially helpful in the yeah. conversation of women and leadership development. For sure. For sure. Is it something that a, maybe an organization or something could, they could use to help them understand how women feel in leadership in their organization or could it, how would it be applied? Is, does that make sense? Yeah, I've often used it when I'm talking to women about um, how to lead authentically. And I'll, I'll talk through this model and, and explain um, how, how sociologically it can work. And often it helps women to find where they are in those five stages and start thinking through what it, it looks like to move into like a synergistic stage because many that's where they really want to be. Okay. So I've used it a lot in leadership retreats and development opportunities um, with women, but it's, I think it's very helpful for any kind of multicultural kind of multi-ethnic yeah. work environment yeah. because um, I've in other situations in my work, I have found you know, many people from the majority world, when they first start leading, feel like the main model they've seen in their mission was a Western model. So then they, they try to be like a Western leader yeah. and then they, they get frustrated. So they, many of them are following a similar path of very discovery. Very yeah. interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, one of the other things that I found um, fascinating was you share a, uh, about this, what you learned about women um, being faithful and connected leaders and a, a new model that emerged um, from your research. Could you share, could you share that more about that with us? Yeah, I wondered if a model would emerge from the research. Um, it was a qualitative research with women born and raised in about 30 different countries. And the thread that held all of them together was each woman was deeply respected as a leader in her context. Well, um, I found it really fascinating because I've studied global leadership for years and I've worked with really talented men from many countries. And so a Korean leader would often lead different from a West African leader who would lead different from a Latin leader. And a lot of that flowed with like the globe research study about, you know, different people and how culture impacts people's view of leadership. What stunned me with these women was how similarly they were leading, hmm. uh, no matter where they were born and raised. And so these, these seven traits came up so frequently that it was obvious that a model was emerging and um, it was the faithful leader model. And so the okay. first, there were seven components. The first is it's, it's not about me. It's about God and, and his mission, which okay. I find fascinating because it's the opposite of the strong man leadership model <laughs> For sure. that is growing. Yeah. yeah. And then I wondered if they were just saying that to be nice because in a lot of cultures, women, aren't supposed to be ambitious or aren't supposed to aspire to be leaders. But um, the second showed me that they were legitimate in what they were saying. They had such a strong focus on prayer for many reasons. Hmm. And then um, they were collaborative, hugely okay. collaborative. They were interested in holistic, more holistic mission. They said, sometimes our brothers aren't seeing things that we're seeing. Hmm. And if we don't address those things, people will not understand that God is truly loving in this wow. context. Wow. Um, 
they were very concerned about impact. And I found this interesting because a lot of times um, culturally there's this stereotype that men care about impact and women care about relationships, but these women really cared about impact. Okay. And they felt like relationship was part of that impact. Um, hmm. And then also excellence. Okay. So I liked being able to introduce this leadership model to the literature because most leadership models were created uh, by men mm -hmm. and often for men and, and women need to find their place in them. And I've, I've found them helpful over the years, but I'm finding so many women resonating with this wow. coming up to me. If I speak at a conference afterwards, uh, sometimes even when they're working in totally different fields saying, you're the first person who's described how I lead. Wow. You know? Wow. So, um, there's the, they talk about the double bind for women. Basically, okay. um, if, if you lead like a man, you'll be respected but not liked. And mm. if you lead with female characteristics, you'll be liked but not respected. Wow. I think the space for women in evangelical kind of contexts is so narrow that it has created this type of a model, even across countries, because if they lead this way, they found that they can be both respected and liked. Yeah. I've wow. thought about that a lot since I did the research. Yeah. And, and I've thought it's unusual that more models didn't pop up. Is the, is that double bind space so narrow? Hmm. <laughs> it should be broader. Yeah. It should be a lot of different models. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah. it was remarkable. Yeah. It really blew my mind, actually. It didn't fit with what I was expecting at all. <laughs> and that, I think, is the value of doing research, because sometimes it, it does, we are surprised at, you know, what, what we uncover. Um, that you, you mentioned there, this, the focus on impact and relationship. And um, that's something that I felt found fascinating that it doesn't have to be dichotomous. It doesn't have to be one thing or the other, but this model, it brings that together and that females value both of them. And, um, it's a challenge I think for me as a male, um, as a male leader that, um, that I can grow and I can be focused on two things too. It does, I don't have to exclude relationships for impact and I don't just have to be all relationally and not have any impact. And it was challenging for me. So I, I appreciate it. I'm not a female at the same time. Oh, I, I thought the, the model was, yeah, was broad and um, I really appreciated it. For sure. You write about the power of collaborative leadership. Um, can you, maybe unpack some of the important components of collaborative leadership and, um, and the values you've noticed um, and those that, that value collaborative leadership. Yeah. I think of uh, one really talented uh, woman in Germany who said, um, women have a panoramic view. We like to bring everyone in. Hmm. Um, I, at first I thought, well, maybe the collaborative part is just going to show up again with the globe research in the cultures where collaborative leadership is more expected. Maybe it won't show up as much in the hierarchical cultures. But what I found so intriguing was um, one woman in an extremely hierarchical culture, her husband had started a major ministry that was working with leading pastors in that country uh, leadership development, and he died very unexpectedly and suddenly. Her board came to her and asked if she would lead it, and 
she had been a very traditional wife, like mainly at home raising the kids. She was really freaked out about it and she kept praying and God kept telling her she should do it. So um, what happened as her daughter recounted the story was that her mom actually took the ministry much further than she thought her father could have, because her father was very top down, but her mom was very collaborative. Hmm. She was forming partnerships all over the place. And, and she just wanted to work with as many people as possible. And um, it just grew exponentially under her leadership. And so I think they, they really care about collaboration because they care about relationship and they feel like it is innate and God's nature with the Trinity and that he invites us even to work with him. So it's a missiologically and biblically rooted concept, but then also for some of the same reasons, you know, guys would, they realize um, they need other gifts. They don't have all the gifts required to move the ministry forward. Um, They, they have limits and they realize that, um, And also, I think another piece of it is that they're often carrying much bigger loads outside of their workplace. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're saying worldwide, they talk about unpaid labor, and it's the caregiving and all of these types of things. So I think to make it work, you have to be collaborative because they weren't willing to sacrifice their families for their for their work or for ministry they they wanted to be faithful in all of their life not just in one piece of their life so so i think that those are some of the reasons why collaborative leadership was so important to them for sure so the podcast listeners don't have to go google um something while they're listening globe globe the globe research you've mentioned that um a few times could you just take a as just so they won't have to Google it and try to figure it out. Cause I'll get, I'll yeah. get emails asking, uh, what is the globe research and why didn't you ask that question? So. <laughs> yeah. So the, the globe research, um, if I remember, I, I think it was done by Thunderbird, which was a, a university in the Southwest of the U S but what they did is they took a lot of the dimensions of culture that had been, um, talked about for many years in the intercultural space, uh, intercultural communication space. And they did research, um, all around the world to, to look at how people, what people viewed as good leadership, how they were leading. And it's, um, to date, I think it's still the most comprehensive global leadership study ever done. Now, it's, it wow. was done in the secular workplace. It was done right. in the kind of that space. But, um, but it's often mentioned in intercultural studies programs or, okay. or that sort of thing. Very cool. Very interesting. And to have something, honestly, to be that robust, it probably took a lot of time and finances. So mm-hmm. um, for sure. One of the other things I found interesting as I, as I read through your work was persevering in the face of difficulties and injustice. Um, and then you, you share about the meaning uh, making process and its importance. Would you share, maybe unpack that a little bit for us? Sure thing. And I left that out of the seven components. <laughs> Resiliency <laughs> was the seventh component. Apologies okay. for that. Yeah. Um, uh, every woman I spoke with had hit 
significant barriers at different points in her journey. Um, it wasn't uncommon that some of the bigger ones were because of their gender and feeling discriminated against because of their gender. But what I found really amazing and beautiful was how they were able to make meaning of that bad experience in a way that continued to affirm that God loved them, that he was good. You know, all the things that we believe theologically For about sure. God. And, and so, um, you know, in, in the meaning-making process, it's not what we experience but how we make sense of that experience that determines whether uh, a circumstance or, or something will be transformative and help us grow and be better or whether it will be deformative and cause us to regress and go back uh, in, in, our, in that process of Christ-likeness yeah. um, in that journey. And so I think the same thing happens with men. A lot of male leaders... Um, Sometimes they're deeply discouraged about something and they can't make sense of it. And, and it's why, why a number of people leave ministry. They, mm. they can't reconcile what they're experiencing with what they believe. Wow. And I found with these women, um, just that meaning-making process of, of being able to sort through and, uh, and still come out of this with God is good, you mm. know, and and what is amazing to me um, is that if they forgave whatever happened and if they were able to make meaning in a redemptive way and they continued on, very frequently God would leapfrog them over the barrier okay. and put them in a role where they had even more influence than they had originally thought they would have if they pursued had the door open of yeah. what they were wanting. Yeah. And I've thought a lot about that. And it makes sense biblically. God says, if we're faithful with a little, he'll give us more. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's that, that meaning making process is so critical hmm. for women, for, uh, you know, majority world culture folks trying to work in Western founded organizations for, yeah. you know, all of these types of things. Um, and, um, or if you're in a, a country and maybe you're of an ethnicity that's not the, the main national ethnicity. Yeah. I mean, marginalization, it happens in so many different ways, in so many different contexts. But the meaning-making process, I think, is really important for, for our development as disciples and our ability to continue to stay open and on the journey. Exactly. For sure. sure. You also discuss about a commitment to excellence and, um, and you say, you share that it can look different in different contexts. And, um, but you say, share that it also breaks the gender bias. And I thought that was fascinating that, and could you just share a little bit about how it, it breaks the gender bias and the importance of excellence? Yeah. I heard this in several of the stories where, um, Many times women that I was talking to were the first woman to ever hold the role, whatever it might be, uh, as executive director or as a, in a senior leadership role. 
um, sometimes in a church, um, maybe they were from a tradition that didn't allow a woman to ever be a pastor, but now she was the first pastor or, or whatever. It, it was happening in all kinds of different contexts. And many times it was because they were so faithful and so fruitful and so excellent in what they were doing that it just created so much disequilibrium for people to stereotype them as being <laughs> something different yeah. <laughs> that they couldn't do that. And yeah. so um, that, that excellence, that faithfulness was, was opening doors for many of them in places where uh, the doors had not been opened before for women. And I think that there's a strong sense for many of them in this sample that, that I worked with that, um, that there are people coming behind us and we want to be excellent. We want to do great work. We don't want to do something that will then cause someone else to suffer or be viewed as because of their gender, they're not able to do something. (laughs) So for sure, but it, it, yeah, but it, it is, it is challenging. And a lot of the research shows that women, you know, to be seen often do have to excel. Hmm. And again, it's the same in any kind of minority situation, Um, the sense that you have to do better because, um, because your model and the way you're working looks different, people don't remember it. Hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a subconscious kind of thing. Okay. And so, um, yeah. So, and because also just there's so many gender stereotypes and things Yeah. that, um, yeah, Excellent. I mean, I've noticed it. Yeah. Over the years. I'm sure. Um, Excellence breaks through it. And that was a challenge for me. And uh, it just to recognize it. And as you shared about when it comes in a different way, sometimes if it's not what I would see it as, then sometimes I could dismiss it. But um, I, this book, it has really challenged me. Um, obviously, I'm a white male. Um, and so it's helped me to broaden my um, thinking and to be more intentional about um, leadership and, and those that are in minority in leadership and um, as a leader, what I am doing to, to help encourage and to see that and see that diversity in leadership. So appreciate it a ton. One last question for you. Um, okay. I'm taking more, more of your time than I've asked for, and then I'll ask you to pray for us. Um, you talk about the metaphors of rubber band, odd ducks, and living in between. Um, could you how do these help us understand the discrimination or challenges that women face? So it was um, rubber band, odd ducks, and living in between. Yeah, on the rubber band scenario, um, that came out of um, one of the women in Asia. And what was happening is in, in the same work day or the same 24 hours, she would go to her job where she was working for a global mission organization and she was seen as a, a leader and she's very strategic and was able to lead and, and able to mm, display agency and take be proactive, all of that. Then she would go to her church and her church had a lot of limitations as to what women could do, but they were allowed to pray publicly and be involved in the worship team. So she got involved in the worship team there. 
And then she went home, and because of her her culture, she had brothers and a husband, but she was taking care of her elderly parents. But because she was a daughter, she had zero voice about how anything was done, even though she was like carrying most of the weight of all the decisions. Yeah. So she, she said, you know, I just sometimes see them making such bad decisions, sometimes bad financial decisions. And because you can't turn off the strategic gift. If, if God's given you that, it kind sure. of carries with you wherever. Exactly. And so she could see five steps down as to what was going to happen. And, uh, and she just put her hands in her, her head in her hands and said, oh, I just, I just pray and hope that it won't turn out too bad. You know, I just have to keep quiet. So she said, I feel like a rubber band and the older I'm getting, I'm losing my elasticity hmm. <laughs> to keep yeah. bouncing back, yeah. you know, from place to place. Um, the odd duck that came up many times by many women, and I felt it myself. And it's the issue when the way God has gifted you for leadership roles does not fit the stereotype. Mm. So someone like myself, I mean, you know, when I was young, I, I really wanted to go to seminary. I really wanted to be a pastor. But my church at the time said, women can't do that. You need to just pray and maybe a pastor will marry you someday and you'll be mm. able to be a pastor's wife. Mm. And then you can be involved in ministry. So I like prayed and waited for 10 years and that didn't happen. I got transferred with my job to a different state, went to a different church and realized, hey, women can actually do some different exactly. things, you know. Yeah. But, um, but a lot of the ministries were, were for married women, but I wasn't married till much later in life, or they were for moms. And even once I got married, we just had a lot of miscarriages, so I haven't been yeah. able to be a mom. So, so many of the women felt like an odd duck because here they were, a godly woman, passionate about Christ, passionate about his kingdom. God's asking them to do things, but but it's not fitting these stereotypes. And so that's really hard. I'm sure. That's a really hard place to be. And, um, but, you know, that's life. Life isn't always easy and there's all kinds of challenges. Um, the the in-between is, is that place of, of just kind of being stuck. You, you see the kingdom values. You see what God wants you wants things to be like, um, they're not as bad in some ways as they used to be, but you're still stuck hmm. in between. Hmm. And, and it's a place of lament and heartache sometimes. Sometimes that place of in-between means uh, you'll never be able to do really everything that God's put in your heart because the barriers are just too great. And so you feel like you're living out only part, like singing only part of the song wow. <laughs> that God gave you to sing. Or, yeah. So um, I don't know if that makes sense, but those were, there were a lot of metaphors, tightrope, the tightrope yeah. metaphor came up a lot. The yeah. sense you can't make a mistake. You have to almost be perfect. I mean, there were just a lot of metaphors yeah. that came out. 
you shared that the, being the odd duck was um, challenging. Maybe there's uh, someone that's listening into this podcast and they feel like that. Do you have a, maybe a word or two of encouragement for them um, as they, because you said it's, it's a difficult place to be. Um, would you just have a word or two of encouragement for them? And then we'll, then we'll go to prayer. Yeah, I would. And I would say it is their problem. It's not your problem. God invites all of us into his kingdom and gives us all the ability to be involved in his mission. And I think that um, there is something wrong personally in our church and our ministries if we are causing godly talented women to feel like they don't fit. I, I, as I've moved further away from the research and I've thought more about it, I would say to women, that is not your fault. Mm. You are not a mistake. For sure. The gifts God has given you are not a mistake. For sure. His calling on your life is not a mistake. And so um, I would just say, you know, just keep looking for doors that might be open and to use those gifts. And, and God says, if we lack wisdom, he will give us wisdom if we keep praying and asking. And so, um, but don't, don't let it suck you in hmm. because it's, it's, it's sin. I think yeah. when, when we've created something that has caused godly, faithful women to feel like there's something wrong with them yeah. because nobody is accepting the gifts that their heavenly father has given right. them or the calling he's given them. Right. You know, so yeah. that would be my, my advice. Well, I appreciate that very much, Mary. It has been phenomenal to get to spend some time with you and uh, just to, to hear your voice and uh, to learn more from you. Will you pray for us, whatever direction you'd like to take it as we end the podcast, would you just pray for us? Sure thing. Um, Heavenly Father, uh, you don't make mistakes, <laughs> and and women are half of the population of the planet. They're usually more than half of the people in our churches. And Father, it is strategic, and we know it's strategic to come alongside women, encourage them, and help them to be able to say yes to you. I am not surprised that there are the levels of barriers and resistance. I, I literally am not sure there's any other area that, that could so limit what could be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven than it is to take half of the population and, and marginalize them. So, so I just pray that we would fear you, that we'd love you, that, um, that you'd give us insight, that you'd give us wisdom to be able to help the women in our lives really grow into becoming everything you want them to be and to be able to make the full contribution that you really want them to make in the world um, because we do know that it will change the world and, it, and things will be better. So, um, so we thank you for Christ and um, everything he did on the cross for redeeming us and letting us be a part of, of your work. It really is a privilege and we just don't take it lightly. So thank you so much for this time. And I just pray your blessing on everyone listening in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. 